The Daily Rios, episode 418, Doomsday Clock, issue one, breakdown. Hey everybody, this is your host, Peter. That's right, I'm doing a breakdown episode of the first issue of Doomsday Clock. Ooh, careful, be careful, don't listen. I might upset certain people. I'm talking about a Watchmen continuation, sequel, thematic sequel, whatever you want to call it. Ooh, scary. All right. Um, Yeah, I'm going to do a breakdown episode. If you've never listened to a breakdown episode, uh, I am doing episodes on DC's metal event, and I'm going to do the same thing here with Doomsday Clock. Basically, what this is, is I go through the book page by page by page and try to pull out all of the big DCU concepts or things that might connect to other stories, other characters, history, publishing history, etc., etc. So this is a detailed breakdown of my experience reading this first issue. So it's not going to be as in-depth as I get with the metal books. I'm not going back and trying to make every little connection to the original Watchmen series, you know, because if I did that, we would be here forever. So I'm just, as I said, I just wrote notes as I was reading it, and maybe I'll be able to expand on some of it, or I'll just, you know, read off the notes, and as we get to later issues, things will probably connect backwards. So um, if you've read it, great, read along with me, and, uh, you know, listen along, I should say, and see what you think, see what you came up with. If you haven't read it, but you're curious Maybe some of the stuff I talk about in here will make you pick it up. And if you haven't read it and you don't have any plans on reading it, why are you listening to this in the first place? Because if you're one of those that thinks that this book shouldn't exist, but you're listening to this because you're curious or, uh, you know, you want to prove yourself right that the book maybe doesn't live up to whatever expectations you think it should live up to, you're sort of playing the game. You're playing the game right along with everybody else. So welcome aboard. All right, so let's jump in right away. Here we go. Doomsday Clock. We had a couple of covers here. The main cover by Gary Frank is the one with all the screaming crowd looking up at something. And the one main character has a sign that says the end is here. That's obviously in direct connection to Walter Kovacs in the original Watchmen series who used to carry a sign around that read, The End Is Nigh. There's a guy in in the upper right corner getting ready to light a Molotov cocktail, which feels very similar to, I have to imagine, something that happened in the original series, but definitely also in the opening of the movie sequence where someone threw a Molotov cocktail into a shop window and then there was a big explosion. And then all of these cover design elements, the title on the side, the little clock image, all of this matches uh, the design for the original Watchmen series. So you can look at that and you can make the comparisons uh, pretty quickly. And then there's another Gary Frank cover, this one featuring Superman in his uh, DC Rebirth costume. And behind him is a partial headshot of Dr. Manhattan. Superman is being reconstructed or torn apart, one of the two. I tend to think he's being reconstructed. And as he's being reconstructed, the parts that are forming or merging to form the Superman body, uh, they are all watch parts. Now, if you think about when this story takes place, as you read the first page, it takes place in uh, November of 1992, which is when the death of Superman shipped uh, back in 1992, although I think it shipped in November 20th because I remember at the time thinking, wow, it's my 20th birthday and they are killing Superman. So uh, if it's taking place during that time, there's an interesting connection there, Dr. Manhattan reforming a Superman. It could also have something to do, um, Superman's pose is very similar similar to the Leonardo da Vinci Vitruvian Man image, And it could be an analysis of, you know, what makes Superman, what makes DC Comics, you know, there's so much. There's, in fact, there's way too much to be talked about now. We'll have to see um, as these issues play out, you know, where we're going with all of this. And then there is the lenticular cover, 
which on the inside cover of this issue, uh, I thought this was interesting. They say, based on existing art by Dave Gibbons, not art by Dave Gibbons. They want to be very clear that this isn't new art. Uh, It's a shot of Rorschach and the way the lenticular cover moves is you see the symbols for Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. So they want to be very clear that he did not create this. It's just based on his artwork. So nobody gets up in arms and says, how dare you, Dave Gibbons, support this book or anything like that. You know, they want to keep it pure or they want to just make sure everybody knows they know it's not, (laughs) they know it's existing art. It's sort of funny. So anyway, the inside cover, the back cover, all of them have the same basic design as the original series, where on the inside covers, the title slowly crawled across, scrolled across the um, uh, the inside covers as the issues went on. So you would see maybe just WA, and then maybe three issues later, you might see ATC, and then maybe three issues later, you might see, you know, MEN or something like that. So um, that's happening here with Doomsday Clock. And then we jump into the story. So page one. Hello, mirror to the world going on right now. Uh, this is obviously very heavy handed. Jeff. Uh, oh, I didn't even read the um, credit box. I guess I should do that because I'm sure you want to know who created all this. So for those of you who are angry, you can go yell at them. It's Jeff Johns, writer, Gary Frank, illustrator, Brad Anderson on colors. Rob Lee is letterer. And then you have Amadeo Turturro is the associate editor, and Brian Cunningham is editor. And then they give a special created by um, credit, a billing to Superman, Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster by special arrangement with the Jerry Siegel family. All right, so that's your credits, credit box for this. Okay, so like I said, the first issue, the first couple pages is just a reflection of what's going on today. You can you can read it in the dialogue. Things like, we had a chance, but they blew it. Undeplorables. Blaming the other side for what they have instead of who they are. Their tolerance is a one-way street, unaware that for those not like them, the good old days weren't so good. Maybe the world should burn this time. I mean, youch. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious <laughs> what Johns is trying to say on this first issue. And it may seem like it's, on this first page, I should say, it it may seem like it's a little heavy-handed one way, but it actually is reflecting on a bunch of different sides, which I think is interesting. And, um, you know, it's issue number one, page one, issue one, and he's laying it all out. Uh, There's not a lot of room for subtlety. Maybe in later issues, he'll get a little more subtle with what he's trying to accomplish or what he's trying to say. Um, I, I just chalk it up to it being the first issue and he's getting his feet wet and trying to uh, find his place. Not very different from Watchmen number one, where I remember at the time, you know, contrary to people out there who are trying to rewrite history and saying that Watchmen number one was the biggest comic of 1986, it sold the most. No, it didn't. It did not. It was a limited series for mature readers that was sold only through direct markets. It absolutely was not the highest selling book of 1986. But there were also a lot of criticisms at the time. Um, the reviews weren't all positive. It wasn't universally universally loved right out of the gate. There were a lot of people who already had um, some issues with some of the writing. You know, I don't. It's not like I agree with it. I'm just saying they. You know, they sort of said Alan Moore was heavy handed. Once you get into his writing style of the way he's trying to lay out the book, you sort of get the joke or you sort of get his riff and his craft. And then after a while, it just sort of feels like it's um, the same note over and over again. And I can very much remember it taking at least two or three issues for this series to really take off. So I'm going to allow Jeff Johns and company the same thing. All right. Now, what's happening during all this narration is that there's an angry mob It's November 2nd, 1992, and they are rushing into the Adrian Vait building, which was a frequent location in Watchmen, as the the narration here says, to bring God back down. So apparently what has happened is all of that stuff that Adrian Vait, Ozymandias, was trying to do to save the world has come out in a newspaper article that is reprinted at the end of this issue, and it's called, the title is The Great Lie. So 
All of that has come out. Everybody realizes that all this peace and unity and all the countries coming together to work together after the New York massacre has all been built on a foundation of corpses, as Adam Murdo likes to say. Um, I think he's he's using that as a quote from someone else when they talk about the post-crisis DC universe, that it was built on a pile of corpses. And so was, um, so is uh, the story here. I did have some question as to when this was happening, even though the journal reads nine, uh, November 22nd, 1992, although the character also writes, or maybe it's November 23rd. Um, I wasn't sure if the sequence of events that we were seeing actually were happening in 1992, or did they happen at, you know, sometime after the original Watchmen series when Rorschach's journal wound up at a newspaper or, or a tabloid uh, uh, office called the New Front- Frontiersman, I think. But as we read on, we'll find out, yes, it is definitely November of 1992. Okay, so page two, the assault on uh, the Vate building uh, is continuing, and they rush into the lobby where Adrian Vate was once, quote-unquote, attacked by an assassin, I think that happened in issue five, I think. Uh, this is when he deflected a bullet and he grabbed his assassin and smashed him into uh, a bust of a pharaoh um, and they fell into a fountain or an uh, indoor pond and you can see that here on this page. And then there's a title here, This is the American Nightmare. American Nightmare indeed. We get to learn a little bit more about what's going on in the world. There's a hostage situation at the White House. The VP is holding people hostage, including the Israeli prime minister. Europe has crumbled. Hello, Brexit. Russia is invading. North Korea has nuclear capabilities, able to go all the way as far as Texas. And we have Americans storming the wall to escape America to go to Mexico. And the president, during all of this, is golfing. Feel that hammer on your head there? All right, page three. Lots of stuff here. Um, I'm still trying to get a handle as I was reading it if this was truly 1992, but again, like I said, we'll find out. Yes, it is. We find out that Rorschach's journal was indeed released and it was just sort of brushed off as uh, the rantings of a crazy man and then it was stolen. Now, we keep seeing an ad where Batman is actually reading Rorschach's journal And we've already seen, because of the DC Rebirth one-shot, that Comedian's Button has somehow transported to the DC Universe. So maybe the Rorschach Journal has also transported to the DC Universe. I don't know. There's no evidence of that. I'm just making speculations. Okay, so everyone is looking for Adrian Vait in his building now that the great lie has been revealed. The Russians are blaming the U.S. government for colluding with Vait. So now there's a manhunt. to try to capture Ozymandias so that everyone can absolve themselves of any sins and they can lay it all at his feet. Apparently, the New York massacre killed three million people and there were tens of thousands that came away with it with permanent psychological trauma. We also learned that nobody knows where everybody else is in terms of the other superpowered characters. There's been no sign of Dr. Manhattan although I thought everybody knew that he went to Mars. I would have to check up on that. The comedian was murdered by Vate. That's public knowledge. There are no current whereabouts of Night Owl or Rorschach. Uh, obviously, they would know that Rorschach is dead, that he was killed by Manhattan in uh, at Ozymandias' Antarctic retreat. And then they say the Silk Spectre is, uh, has vanished and Ozymandias is at large. Uh, So we get the people rushing into Vate's office, and you can see the little Ozymandias action figures, um, which plays out in the original series. And right there on his desk is the newspaper with the title, The Great Lie. So you can pretty much bet that Adrian Vate rushed out of his office once that came out and went into hiding. We also see on this page that there is a military team invading that Antarctic retreat called Karnak, uh, that belonged to Adrian Vait, which is where he pretty much put all of his plan into play. And you can see there in the snow that there are a bunch of palm trees, which is a callback to the original series. Okay, page four. We learn that all of the independent media around America is being shuttered. Newspapers, TV news, 
And it's all to give rise to what is called the National News Network, which is pretty damn scary when you think about how um, had we had this past election gone a different way, uh, the Republican candidate was all about ready to start his own TV network. And here it is right here. Jeff Johns is riffing on that idea. So CNN, BBC, all of them signing off for the last time. Uh, there is one news anchor who is refusing to go quietly. And uh, they're trying to say, you know, rise up, stand up. And it feels some, like right out of the stand. I think they did that in the stand too, where someone went on national TV and tried to tell everybody that go the government was lying. And then the military came in and shot him. But here it just sounds like they're pulling him away. As the military team invades uh, Vate's compound, you can see them walk by all the TV consoles, and they're all still playing all those different TV screens that we see Ozymandias sitting in front of. And we get to a room that we haven't been privy to before. It's a medical examination room with a large chair, and there's an X-ray dated February. And on the X-ray is a skull with this circle, this clear circle uh, almost like a hole in his head or in his brain. I thought it was a hole, like maybe a gunshot wound, but it's meant to be a tumor. So we can probably surmise that Adrian Vate, while he was giving all of these other people cancer to try to frame Dr. Manhattan, he has given himself cancer. Okay, page five. We see that the anchor for the National News Network is none other than William F. Buckley Jr., because of course he is. Notice how the initials for National News Network have, you know, a similarity to a lot of uh, Nazi symbolism there. Even though in the background there are American flags and we have this blonde anchorman and it's all very Fox News, uh, you know, hocus pocus. Uh, obviously, Jeff Johns and company are trying to say something about this National News Network. And they tell us that Russia has invaded Poland again and that the U.S. is ready to go to war. They're warning citizens to stay clear of red zones, which I have to imagine is anywhere that the Russians could strike, uh, nuclear, in a nuclear way. And then we see that there's a riot at a prison, and a bunch of prisoners, they want out. So they grab a guard, and they try to tell them, let, him, let us go, let us be free, so we can try to escape this. But then the guard, <laughs> the guard is punched in the head uh, by a gloved fist, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, you know, that uh, instead of this character trying to pull the guard away, he punches him in the head while he's going through this traumatic thing. I don't know, just silly. Uh, and then the prisoner says, oh shit. And indeed, on page six, we see that, yes, oh shit, because Rorschach is back. Or is he? And then we get the title, That Annihilated Place, which will tie into a quote that is being read or... Um, that shows up at the end of the book, very much like what Watchmen used to do. Page seven. Now, this is when I started to wonder if the font in the journal was a clue. Is it the same handwriting style as the original series? Is it meant to evoke? Is it meant to copy? You know? Uh, so in here in the journal, Rorschach references that they had pancakes at Morning Joe's, and there's been this crazy promotion where DC sent out uh, the first issue along with pancake batter and syrup. And they sent it out. Oh, and I think the cover was like uh, a Rorschach-esque design in syrup on pancakes. So um, that was released to retailers and who knows who else. So I don't know if you're able to get that or not. Rorschach is making his way through the prison. He is going to a specific number. He stops in front of 13. So I don't know if that has any significance um, but eventually he wants to get to um, prison cell 31. Now he does write here or say here, never write anything down, far too dangerous. Well, then who's writing this journal? Or is it a journal? Maybe it's just the design that they're using uh, as Rorschach narrates this particular book. So I'm a little confused by that. This is when I started to look at Rorschach, the way that Gary Frank draws him. And there, there was something about his height his body, uh, the neck seemed slim, the waist seemed slim. Walter Kovacs wasn't, you know, a bulky guy. Part of me started to think, okay, so the running theory was that this was Night Owl, you know, Dan Dreberg. But then I started to think, whoa, what if it's Laurie? What if it's Silk Spectre? 
none of those uh, turn out to be true. So don't worry about that. Again, I'm just reading these notes as, you know, sort of my train of thought just went loose. All right, so page eight, we see that nukes are being armed and released. We have a narrative uh, box here that says, we will hear them all screaming to get out. And then uh, we find out, yes, this definitely is 1992. There were a series of events that happened in 1989 that this book is referencing. So, yes, it, it this was when I went, okay, yeah, it clearly is 1992, because that was a little bit of a question. Page nine, we see who is in the prison. It's a woman named Erica Manson, known as the marionette. And when she sees Rorschach, she freaks out because she, you know, Rorschach is a badass, and he's trying to say, no, that was a different person. I am not him. And she says, prove it. So he takes off his glove, and he's a black man. So clearly not Rorschach which then made my head just spin about like who this could be. And we'll talk about that in a moment. He's trying to uh, break her out of this prison because in about three hours, this whole area will be nuked. Makes me think, are they going to try to take this story, this whole 12-issue series, and only fit it within three hours? That would be crazy. Um, and, and like I said, she's freaking out. So page 10 he has revealed to her that he needs her help, and if she does help, he will help her find her kid or maybe get her kid back. And now it all starts to make sense. Marionette, she has a kid. We learn on the next page that she won't do this unless she uh, unless they break out her partner, uh, Marcos Maez, known as the Mime. So the Mime and the Marionette are riffs of a certain Charlton Comics duo known as Punch and Julie. So remember, all the Watchmen characters are riffs of Charlton characters. So you had The Question became Rorschach. Uh, Blue Beetle became Night Owl. Um, Captain Adam became Dr. Manhattan. The Peacemaker became The Comedian, etc., etc. So Jeff Johns and company are taking... Um, Punch and Julie, who first showed up in Captain Adam 85 from 1967, and he has formed his own Watchmen spin on it, and they are called the Mime and the Marionette. Now, the whole thing about the baby uh, is because during the late 80s, Punch and Julie were characters in DC Comics when uh, during the Suicide Squad series. And they were always off having sex, and then she wound up getting pregnant. So I think that's just a riff on that story. As I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, look, you know, Rorschach is forming his own suicide squad. Or part of me was even thinking how similar uh, Marionette and the mime feel to Harley Quinn and the Joker, right? That That's sort of obvious. Um, they kind of have the same kind of spin on it. Although, you know, Julie came first. But uh, it feels like that could be not only a riff on the Charlton characters, but very much a play on, um, I mean, there were a lot of people who thought Rorschach was just a Batman clone, which I don't, I, I guess. I mean, I really, I think Night, Night Owl is the one. Um, so once you see the mime, yeah, he feels like he could be a Joker kind of character. This is also the page, page 10, where I thought, oh, so if Rorschach is a black man, then, you know, at first, I wasn't really thinking, but I said, well, is he Bernie, the kid who used to read the pirate comics next to the newsstand? Is he uh, the doctor that was in charge of Walter Kovacs when Kovacs was in prison and was trying to get to, you know, get into Rorschach's head? Um, there weren't a lot of characters in in uh, the original Watchmen that were black, that were main characters. They were all supporting characters. You know, it was a lot of white folk, not a lot of other folk. So the choices are kind of slim about who who this could be. And you also have to remember, most of those people died with the big explosion with the squid at the end of Watchmen. And they were shown clearly on the streets, all bloody and uh, other other bodies laying on them. Now, sure, were they dead? Maybe they were alive. Mm, I don't know if that feels right, you know. There was also this psychic component to it, so they were toast. Um, but I have another theory about all this, which, uh, again, I'll save for a little bit later. Page 11, we see that Rorschach has this watch 
that is not keeping time too well, which I think is a clue somehow. Remember, at the top of the uh, issue, he says it's November 22nd or maybe the 23rd. So there's something about time that is kind of screwing up with his head. This Rorschach says that he has a partner and that he does what he asks. And he tells Marionette that they have to find God and save the world. And this is where we learn that Marionette's husband is Marcos Maez, the mime. All right, page 12. We see another part of the prison where some prisoners are beating up on a cop. And inside one of the cell cells is the mute uh, or is the mime, and he's mute. He's just sitting there. Kind of looks like Bruce Wayne in this world. Page 13, the prisoners go into the cell and they start to beat the mime up. He never says anything. And then they stop because they see the marionette and Rorschach walking this way. Page 14, we find out that all of it is a feint. It's a performance that he just let them beat him up so that then he could turn the tide and kick their ass, which uh, he does rather gruesomely. Um, there's even a point where he shoves a guy into the bar so hard that the guy's face and ears get stretched back between the bars. It's kind of gruesome. And the cop is just looking on while the mime um, beats up all these prisoners. Now, the mime has a little bit of a swirl of hair that is white or gray in front on the top of his head. It looks very much like Jason Todd, uh, the way Jason Todd had his hair during Hush. There's even a word balloon here that says Hush. So that's kind of uh, interesting. I don't know what Johns is playing with there. Page 15, Rorschach is kind of touchy about having to always prove that he's not the original, and he definitely doesn't like to be touched. Um, the mimes says that he needs his weapons. He doesn't really say it. He mimes it because <laughs> he's a mime. And we see in the second panel that Rorschach's mask kind of looks like a mime, right? Like the swirling part of his mask. And it makes me think of, I think there was a character like that within the Blue Beetle series that had this, um, mime kind of face to it. I forget what his name was. It might be mime. I don't remember. It's not the madman. I'm not thinking of the madman. It was the mime. I th or um, it might be the muse now that I think about it. So, okay. Um, page 16. This, this is a pretty funny page. Mime gets his weapons. And of course, he's miming all of the stuff, like putting a belt on and cocking a gun. And at the end of it, Rorschach says, you have big problems, which I thought was pretty funny. This page had an echo, though, to the original series. Because there was a part when there was a prison riot in issues, oh, I don't know, seven maybe, seven or eight of Watchmen, where Rorschach was going around and trying to find his mask and his uh, trench coat and his hat. And this feels very much like the same thing. Like when he needed his face to feel complete, the mime needs his quote unquote weapons to feel complete. So I thought that was kind of a nice little touch, little throwback there. Page 17, they leave the prison. It almost looks like the Watchmen universe version of Bell Rev uh, from Suicide Squad. And this Rorschach has a car, but it's not electric, it's gas. And apparently it stinks because he's been living in it. And there on the bottom, you can see Marionette pulling out a Borscht burger container. Because after the New York massacre, when all the countries were getting together to, you know, confront whatever this attack supposedly was supposed to be, uh, there were a lot of things that a lot of Russian uh, corporate things that came over to the states, like a lot of their fast food and other uh, corporate entities. So kind of cool to see a Borscht burger container here. The marionette asks Rorschach, can you see through your mask? And he says, perfectly, which is interesting because the mask very much is a lens that uh, Walter Kovacs saw through and all of that changing, swirling stuff probably had to do something to his brain. So that's kind of a nice little personal touch there. And the design on the face of Rorschach there at the last panel is pretty damn creepy. It, it almost looks like when a newborn is born and and their face is all mushed and they're crying. It just looks, I don't know, kind of, kind of creepy, right? And that's what you're supposed to do with these designs. You're supposed to look at them and think, what does it look like to you? So, and I'm not even going you know, back and trying to figure out the, what the other designs look like. These are just things that happened as I, as I was reading it. Page 18, we are in New York. 
while everybody is trying to escape New York, Rorschach and company are trying to get over a bridge to New York. And that feels like, um, if you ever see the Walking Dead promo image, they always show this highway and there are all these cars that were trying to leave Atlanta, but the road going to Atlanta was totally empty. Uh, or maybe you would see Rick on a horse. And that's very much what this uh, panel looks like, this long vertical panel. Then we see a couple other shots. We see Gunga Diner. We see this couple who are trying to leave uh, New York. And the woman is saying, we got to go pick up our my mother. But the guy says she's in Queens. And he says, I told her not to vote for Redford. So in the original Watchmen series, Nixon was still president in the 80s. And then um, after his after the story, they were talking about how uh, this actor was looking to become president. And obviously that was a riff on Ronald Reagan, who, you know, was our president and was an actor. But in the Watchmen universe, it's Robert Redford who becomes president after Nixon. So that's a, a little bit of a continuation there from the original series. And we see that Rorschach and company have gone underground because the tunnels were accesses to uh, the Night Owl basement headquarters. Night Owl and Rorschach used to be partners, and the way they used to get around is through the tunnels, so that's what everybody is doing here on this page. Page 19, we're in the sewers. I love the panel where uh, Rorschach says, um, he's trying to figure out if he's supposed to go right or left, and he says, don't remember. And if you look at the two entranceways, to the passages right or left, it's clearly meant to look like the front of the night owl ship called Archie with the big yellow eyes, right? It looks like it, it looks like he's standing in front of the ship. So I thought that was kind of cool. And of course, he probably doesn't remember because this isn't Rorschach. It's not like he's done it hundreds of times. He doesn't have his files. The files that he brought to the prison to show Marionette are on the street. When they got out the car to go in the sewer, the files dropped. So that makes me think, okay, is that going to come out later? Is somebody going to find them? Just the way that Rorschach's journal wound up at the tabloid newspaper, will somebody find these little, you know, files and do something with it? I don't know. Page 20, we learn that the mime pulled out his own tongue. Again, kind of reminds me of Joker. Think of Joker from the Batman Christopher Nolan movies where he had all these origin stories about how he got the scars, but it made you think, hmm, maybe he gave himself the scars? So I thought that was a little thought that popped into my head. Page 21, we see this steel door, and it says, Danger, Flood Door. Although if you read it one door to the next, it says, Dan Flood Jur Door. <laughs> Which reminded me again of Walking Dead, because there's that in the first episode, Rick comes up against a door that says, don't open dead inside. But if you read it up and down, it says, don't dead open inside or something like that. So I don't know why all these Walking Dead references are popping in. Now, the last panel, we see the three of them walking into the light as they're going through this tunnel. Tons of imagery like that in the original series in terms of silhouettes, uh, either with some kind of mechanical light in front of them or... Uh, silhouettes against the wall, or maybe it's because a mushroom cloud was going off behind them. So there was something about that and the way they merged to form a silhouette, much like uh, the designs on Rorschach's face. I thought that was kind of cool. And Rorschach says, we're going into the light, which could mean so many things, right? It could mean that we're finally, finally going to get answers. And that is exactly what's going to happen. Page 22, yep, we are definitely in Dan Dryberg's basement, his Night Owl base of operations. Apparently there was a rumor that Rorschach killed Night Owl and Silk Spectre, but that's not true. Um, there's a panel where Rorschach is looking inside the ship and looking at where the pilot sits inside the ship, and it makes you feel like, okay, is he trying to be nostalgic? No, because this isn't Rorschach, uh, you know. Maybe he's just picturing himself in the pilot seat. Has he ever ridden the ship? I don't know. So it was a weird thing to kind of focus on. And we learn who the partner is on page 23. And it is Mr. Adrian Vate, Ozymandias himself. And he says that Rorschach is working for him. And Rorschach corrects him. And he says, with you, never for you. 
Uh, Adrian Vate says that Night Owl is actually retired, which who knows, that could be a feint, and that they only really need Marionette, although I don't know why. Marionette uh, calls Rorschach the pretender. I kind of like that. Um, and this is where I added a little bit more to this whole who is Rorschach thing. So in Adrian Vate's hands is a new lynx, a baby lynx. So in the original series, he had a genetically engineered lynx named Bubastis. And here he is holding a baby version of it. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. So all those people who are saying that this Rorschach can't be Bernie, it can't be the doctor because they were in New York when it exploded. Well, for someone like Adrian Vate, who mucks around with cancer and mucks around with genetics and time and tachyons and all of that, who's to say, and building giant squids, who's to say he didn't take some kind of DNA from a body and has restored Bernie or the doctor or some other character and that's why this character has this thing about time. He kind of, um, you know, because of all the tachyons that were uh, released during the explosion as a way to, oh, I don't know, oh, as a way to confuse Dr. Manhattan at the end of the Watchmen series, maybe that's affecting his brain too. Maybe it, maybe it became part of his DNA and that's something that Adrian Vate couldn't work out. So, yeah. They might be dead, but this might also be a clone of them. And that was uh, something back during Watchmen where one of the theories about who killed Comedian was that the Comedian killed the Comedian, that the one that died was actually a clone and the one who killed him was the real one and found out that he was replaced or something like that. So that was a big theory back in the 80s, um, although it never panned out, obviously, but maybe that's something that's going to be shown here. Page 24, the marionette and Adrian talk about this Rorschach, comparing him to the first, but Adrian suggests that this one could be even more volatile. Um, there's an interesting panel there at the bottom where Adrian tries to touch Rorschach, and Rorschach has a reaction that freaks out the little Bubastis lynx. Now, this is the page where I kind of was like, mm. This Adrian feels off. He feels off in dialogue. He feels off in his design. Um, he's not as... I mean, the original had this... <laughs> had this kind of cold swagger, this backwards kind of relaxed energy. And this one is trying to have that. But I don't know. This is where I felt like John's and company... Um, didn't, didn't get the voice for this character. The Rorschach voice is great, even though it's not the same character. The mannerisms, the way he walks, his design, um, obviously the, the word balloon design, all of that feels very much like Rorschach, even though it's not him. And yet this one, not so much. All right, page 25. I love the little narrative box, that's, narrative box that says, but even the greatest of empires decay. Hello, 2017. And then Adrian Vate says uh, once he found out that the great lie was released, he started laughing until it hurts, but he stops and, and has a pained look on his face because, yes, indeed, he has a tumor. <laughs> I love the caption here or the dialogue back and forth. It says, what's wrong with him? He's an asshole. And he says, yes, but I also have cancer. Now, on the National News Network, they are saying that... Um, Russia has invaded deeper into Poland, and they say here, despite what foreign press claim, so they're trying to do the whole fake news thing news thing here, but if you think about it, fake news usually turns out to be true, or it turns out to be something other. So it makes me wonder, okay, is Russia invading Poland, or is America invading Russia or something? What are they trying to hide here? What are they trying to spin what are they trying to not tell us? So it'll be curious to find that out. Page 26, Ozymandias says we need to find John, or as Rorschach says, we need to find God, because Adrian feels he is the only one who has the power, the power to save our world. And then they show a clip, one panel from Watchmen, where um, Dr. Manhattan says to Adrian, I'm leaving this galaxy for one less complicated which I'm like, wait, is he calling the DC universe simple? <laughs> Those are fighting words. 
Um, and Dr. Manhattan said at the end of Watchmen, he said, I was, I'm going to go off, maybe I'll create my own life. So there's been a lot of hints and rumors and some actual on-page stuff throughout the DC universe leading up to Doomsday Clock number one, showing things like Dr. Manhattan's hand or coming into the DC universe, not forming it, but coming into it at a later date. There's the whole thing about Wally West saying that someone stole 10 years of time. So yeah, I don't know where all this is going. And then we hit the last couple pages and we return to the actual DC universe and we see the Daily Planet and we see Clark and Lois in bed. So we are not in the Watchmen universe here. We're in the DC universe and they're sleeping we get a couple shots of looking at Clark through his glasses, which is kind of interesting. His costume is thrown over a chair, and we get a blurb here that says, they've never seen anything like you, Clark. And we get a flashback on page 28 to Clark, Clark Kent, and his parents, senior year at high school, going to a dance. This Clark Kent is kind of angry at his position right now, and... The Kents are trying to tell him, you know, don't blame the world for not being ready for who you are. This feels very much like Man of Steel, some of the discussion that goes on between Jonathan Kent and Clark Kent in Man of Steel about it not being the right time yet to um, reveal his identity. Um, Ma Kent is worried about him. Jonathan says, you know, don't be worried. He can't be hurt. And this is kind of paralleling uh, this this sort of alienation, this sort of outsider quality in Clark to John Osterman before he became Dr. Manhattan or even after he became Dr. Manhattan, this sort of distance, right? Even though Dr. Manhattan is a riff on Captain Adam, you can say that he is also uh, kind of a spin on the whole Superman thing, this powerful being. So we're seeing a little bit of that here. Page 29, we see that the Kents die in a car crash and I didn't understand where this was coming from, but apparently that is the origin for the new 52 Superman. His parents were killed in a car crash by a drunk driver. So that's what this is. But then I, 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 need, to, then I need to ask, okay, but does, does that mean that this Superman is that Grant Morrison new 52 Superman? Is it the merged Superman? Um because remember, there were two Clark Kents floating around. One was married to Lois Lane, and they had a kid. And one was the New 52 Superman, because he was split from our Superman that we knew. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Johns is trying to say here. Is this the father? Is this Superman as the father, and he now has the New 52 origin, or what? So, I'm confused by this. Page 30, he wakes up. And he says that he has had a nightmare and he doesn't remember ever having a nightmare. And Lois is trying to, you know, talk, talk him down, literally talk him down because Clark is floating in the air. And uh, you have to imagine that, uh, you know, Dr. Manhattan, Superman, there's going to be a clash, right? There's some, something's going on that is infecting Clark Kent's brain. Um, and eventually, I hope we find out where this story all takes place. Is it happening in real time? Is it happening a little bit in the future from now? Who knows? But there you go. That's it. That's what this first issue was. There were some interesting mysteries, some some interesting bits here and there, you know, to, to extrapolate uh, the Watchmen world six, seven years later is kind of interesting. Um, I like that they released the, the truth behind what went on. Um, the whole Rorschach angle is funny to me. I think it's, I think it's great because it's like Jeff John saying, it's kind of pointing a finger to all those fans who freak out every time a character is, uh, changed ethnically. So, you know, what they did with Wally West or when people freaked out about Falcon as Captain America or, you know, just name any of them, Human Torch in the Fantastic Four movie. So it's kind of like his way of going, okay, I'm going to take this ultra conservative, violent badass I'm going to make him a black character and put a whole spin on it as if to criticize people who, you know, react so strongly. They're already going to react strongly to this book anyway. So now he's pointing a finger back again and saying, okay, I'm going to take that whole bit of uh, comics fandom criticism and I'm going to do something with it. So I don't know if that's his plan, but it feels that way. So we'll see. 
The other cool thing here is at the end, it, uh, this book is dedicated to Len Wein, who originated, uh, who edited the original series and uh, who just recently passed away. Now we get some text pages here. We learned that uh, the newspaper article called The Great Lie came out on November 2nd, 1992. So it took 20 days for the entire country and the world to spin out of control. Um, there's a cool weather report that says today will be a high of 52. That word is, you know, that number is uh, very familiar. But a low of 19 of 38, which is obviously a spin on 1938, the first appearance of Superman. So again, very interesting. I'm saying we're coming up on an anniversary for Superman in uh, 2018. Now, this volume of the New York Gazette, I don't know my Roman numerals and I didn't look it up. It's volume CXLI, so someone figured that out. And the number is 49,113, which made me think, okay, how many comics have DC released since uh, 1935? <laughs> Um, it makes me wonder what that number is. We get an article by Mr. Doug Roth, who was a character in the original Watchmen series, about the journal. Apparently, we learn that Seymour, who used to work for the New Front Frontiersmen and was the one that came across the journal, has been killed and the journal is missing. And they have someone in custody called Roger Jackson. Now, I don't know if that is supposed to be who this Rorschach guy is or maybe it's something else. Um, I don't know. We get another obituary here that says that the original Mothman from the Minuteman has died and that his mental home was damaged in a gas explosion. And I'm not taking any of this stuff for granted because the text pages always had some interesting tidbits and things that came out later. So we'll see. The other thing that's interesting to take notice of is uh, all of the ads that DC released in ahead of this series you know, we would get a quote uh, from one of the characters from Watchmen, and then we would get an image that featured a DCU character. So we would get this quote by Dr. Manhattan, but the image was Superman. We'd get a quote by Adrian Vate, but the image was Luthor with Vate uh, standing off panel, but putting his hand on Luthor's shoulder. We get a quote by Rorschach, but the image is Batman reading his journal. We get a quote from Comedian, but it's an image of the Joker putting on um, nostalgia makeup. And then we get a quote from, from the doctor uh, that was Rorschach's doctor, Dr. Long. But the image on this one is Rorschach. So it kind of changes the, the pattern here. And instead of it being a DCU character, it's a Watchmen character. Or is it a DCU character? Is it a crossover character? But that feels like that could be a little weird. So I don't know. Maybe it's Miles Morales. No, just kidding. All right. One other thought I had um, in all of this um, Watchmen DCU synergy stuff that's going on, because it used to go on even in the 80s. Watchmen characters showed up the, uh, a version of Rorschach showed up in the question. Um, we used to get little who watches the Watchmen graffiti all over the DC universe. So things happened. It's not like it all happened in a vacuum. But um, I know in the Watchmen movie, when you're in the beginning, when you're being introduced to all the Minutemen, uh, during the Night Owl sequence, you can see the cover to the first appearance of Batman on the wall behind him. So again, all of this kind of convergent stuff is happening. So I think it's Super interesting that the actor who played Dr. Manhattan in the Watchmen movie is also the actor who plays Henry Allen in the Justice League movie. Henry Allen, the father of Barry Allen, and they're doing the same thing that they do in the Flash TV show. Um, the father in the Justice League movie is accused of killing Barry's mom, and they are always talking through a prison glass. So... The reason this kind of flips me out is because if you go back to the DC Rebirth one-shot that started this whole DC Rebirth stuff, um, Wally West makes mention about losing a watch, I think, that was either given to him by Barry um, or someone, and, and then it was lost, but then there was a watch that showed up on Mars, and if you think about John Osterman's dad, who was a watchmaker, and that's what John Osterman did— 
all of this kind of, I don't know, there's something that's being connected here and I don't know what it is, this thing about the watch. And then, like I said, Dr. Manhattan played by the same actor who plays uh, Henry Allen in the Justice League movie. So what are they trying to say here? What are they, are the Allens and the Ostermans related? Are they trying to, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea, no idea. It, it might be nothing for all I know. Um, there's an issue of the original Wally West Flash series post-crisis where he's talking to Vandal Savage and they do a pull-away shot outside of his apartment and on the billboard it says, who watches the Watchmen? Now, did John see that and say, you know what, I'm going to make Wally's apartment the same apartment that the Ostermans lived in when they grew up way back when? You know, I don't know. again, this is just total speculation. I have no idea, but it's kind of fun to think about. And if they do make that connection, just know that I mentioned that all the way back when DC Rebirth uh, was first released and uh, the CGS guys did an episode on it and I called in real quick. And I think uh, not only CGS guys, but Danny was on that episode too. And I brought it up even back then. So uh, I am staking claim to that little bit of <laughs> that little bit of unsupported theory. All right. I think I've talked about this book enough. Uh, you let me know what you think. Did you read it? Did something else jump out? Um, it's it's an it's fine. It's a perfectly fine read. As I said, there's some really interesting things. I think the artwork is pretty cool. The backgrounds aren't as detailed as you know Dave Gibbons, but uh, uh, I think Gary Frank is doing an admirable job. And there were a couple things in here that made me go, "Ooh, that's cool. That's a cool idea. That's a cool idea." So uh, we have 11 issues to go. This is just the start of the story. And it's going to take uh, a bunch more issues to really kick off. So uh, just like the way Watchmen did, you know, Watchmen was a slow burn. Uh, and this one feels like it's going to be the same thing. So, all right. Peter at the Daily Rios is my email address. You can follow me on Twitter or leave a comment on the website. And uh, by all means, you can listen to the show through iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. I will drop another breakdown episode when issue two hits. Those of you who are celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday, don't stuff yourselves uh, and everybody else. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. I can't wait to hear the feedback. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.